got to go quickly. It's a draw. It's a draw. And then she gets it back. Oh, are you kidding me? And the Sunshine Coast Lightning have achieved the unthinkable. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Inner Circle podcast. Sherelle McMahon with you alongside Bianca Tatfield B. Great to have you here. We're on the back end of an amazing World Cup. Amazing World Cup. What's kind of your general sense of things? Wow. It's so hard to just wrap it all up, but that's what we're going to try and do Mm. today. And to all the Aussie fans who were were in Australia, I hope you're catching up on sleep because (laughs) I tell you what, that was tough, wasn't it? Getting up and watch all the games. It has been a brutal couple of weeks, actually. over the weekend covering the finals in Sydney. Did you get any sleep on that night of the finals? Well, we were off air at four o'clock and then we were on a flight at 6am. So (laughs) I got home and caught a couple of hours on the couch and that was about it. But what about Liz Ellis? She, uh, they worked her very hard Channel 9 across that weekend. She was on every show possible and we're going to keep working her hard too because the netball legend will be joining us a little bit later for, uh, to give us her thoughts about things as the dust has settled. That's right. She's been desperate to come on the podcast. She said, she was like, finally, you bloody asked me to come on this show. Sorry, Lizzie. We didn't realise you were hanging out there waiting for us to ask you. One thing I think we should say is a big congratulations to the Silver Ferns. Absolutely. Because, you know, as much as we all wanted Australia to win, you look at the Silver Ferns and their fossils, as Nolene was calling them, but, you know, they had a cracking game. They, They played well. They are just warriors who we've seen be on the back end or the losing side of those one point kind of games over the years and to Mm. see them just tough it out and you know they controlled the game in the end those experienced players and so we have to say massive respect to those girls for what they were able to achieve over in Liverpool. Without doubt and one of the lasting memories from me from the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games was Katrina Rory walking off the court after they had been beaten by Malawi and it was you could see the devastation in her face and after that she was uh, as the captain asked very heavy questions about the pride that these girls have in playing mm. for that silver ferns dress and the look on her face when that question was put to her I'll never forget um, and no doubt that has been a spur for them to go for- forward. Nolene Tarua is an absolute master coach everything she touches it seems turns to gold Uh, And she was amazing along with the rest of that group. And I think for me, the thing that stood out um, for me with the Silver Ferns among a lot of really great things was, you know, we spoke about on the coverage the the amount of possession they had in that game. It felt like... They had Katrina, uh, sorry, Katrina Rory and Casey Kapoor on that uh, transverse line. They would try and go forward, and if it wasn't on, they'd just pop it back out Well, they out played to them. like a Malawi, didn't they? They, they did in a way. Where they keep possession and you go off. back and you just, everything is about just, doesn't matter if it takes 20, 30, 40 passes to get it into the goal, you do it. You do it. And, you know, we talk about that uh, Casey Kapoor and the amazing game that she had. Um, along with Langman, she just ran her heart out in the centre. And Maria Falagi, that was impressive because she was incredibly shaky mm, wasn't at, she the at the beginning start. of the game. But she pulled herself back into it and had a huge impact. Do you know, as a defender watching, 
it all I can think about is that when we used to prepare to play against the Silver Ferns and prepare to play against Maria, the one thing that you always know is that Maria will go to Langman. Every single time Maria has the ball, she will give it to Laura Langman. Yeah. And there were just so many times that you'd see that pass where she would be hesitating and where's Langman? Oh, there <laughs> she goes. And I just, it, that was one of the most frustrating things for me watching. I was just like, someone go and sit back mm. on Langman and cover that pass because every single time. Yeah, well, let, let's get into the diamond side of things um, because obviously that's a massive story for us and... Um, the defensive side of it for me, as I mentioned, New Zealand played that really like keepings off style, which is very frustrating to defend against and very difficult to get the ball back. New Zealand finished that World Cup final on 15 turnovers. Mm. That is incredible under the pressure when the Australians were coming back at them in the end there. Um, but how did you read the defensive play for the Diamonds in that game in particular? Yeah, look, I think um, I think we said it last week in that with the defenders, if you go into a tournament like this and you want to play this one-on-one contesting hard at every single ball, if you're being umpired out of the game, you need to change it up. And I think... As much as, you know, Joe Weston and Courtney Bruce in that first part were, were trying to play that one-on-one game, I think there had to be another option of splitting the circle with sitting back in space, having a go. You're not playing New Zealand style, but you're playing a different way that you're not allowing the umpires to see those contacts and obstructions all the time because you will get called for them. You know, that's what they were calling at the very start. I mean, I, I felt like... Sometimes Coxie actually on the commentary was making out as if the defenders weren't even trying. They were trying their butts of off, they but were. they just they could not get the you know away from the umpire's attention. So for me, it was like that thing: the Langman to Maria pass. Uh, you know, get in the way of that. Find a way to back off from Maria when she's got the ball, and go and find put your body where Langman is because that's where usually the next pass is going. So it was just about savvy things that way. I believe April Branley was unavailable during a lot of the round games um, because she had concussion Mm. and so she wasn't able to I guess relieve Joe Weston in goal defense and so you go into this game with Joe Weston playing her absolute heart out her legs would have been absolutely battling in that Mm. last game she has played a lot of full games in the lead up she hasn't had much rest like some of the other players and so I really felt for her trying to run out a full game at goal defense I thought Sarah Clough came on. She got two cautions very early, which was <laughs> surprising. Over the top. I mean, I know so the umpires the do need to keep control in a game like that, but wow. I know. But I just think, you know what? Her long arms, she came in and she had a presence and she started to build into the game. Um, yeah, the defenders weren't allowed to do much. I think it was tough not having a solid wing defence with with tall hands over. April Branley, when she eventually came on the court, I thought that did make a difference. I just probably would have swung that change a lot earlier. Um, and, you know, it's easy in hindsight to say, we should have done this and we should have done this and we shouldn't. We weren't there. We, we didn't live and breathe the moments with the team yeah. over the tournament. So this is just our perspective from watching. Um, but, yeah, I just a few couple of changes should have been made. Um, but... Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Ekinacio, full credit to her. You know, she, she sat on the Firebirds bench for so long and was <laughs> never used. And now Nolene's got the best out of her. New Zealand have got the best out of her. And, you know, she was on fire. Yeah. If anything, she was the one that was helping Maria get back in the game. Yeah, she really was. And um, one of the things that 
you know, I don't like to talk too much about, well, back in my day. No, but, I know. Uh, back in my day, um, there was a, more of a sense of you've got a starting seven and that starting seven is given the opportunities to experience different things out on court together and then there are some different changes made. Now, the Lisa Alexander and the Diamonds took a very different approach to that and that's really evidenced by the semi-final starting seven as opposed to the final starting seven. Now, there were only two people in the same position mm. from both of those two games, um, and that was Jamie Lee Price and Joe Weston on wing defence and goal defence. Um, I just there's, – there's something about it for me that I, I – I know across a tournament play it's very different. You have to be able to give players rest. And the Diamonds are very, very lucky that we have such a strong 12 that anyone can get that job done. And against South Africa in those tight moments – the girls who were out there absolutely got it done because it felt for a moment like yeah. South Africa were going to run over the top of <laughs> That's them. That's right. Um, so there is that. But when you decide that your starting seven is going to be a certain thing for the final, I just worry that... That's the only the second time they'd been out on court together mm. during that tournament. So, you know, there could be conjecture over what decisions were made or who should have been where. But if that's the team's decision, that that's what they're going to go for in the final, I think they should have been given a little bit more time in the lead up. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, you know, when I talk about defenders being able to have some, you know, other things that they can bring out on court other than one-on-one, splitting the circle, sitting back in space, trying to have a goal at the intercepts. If you think about Jamie Lee Price, Joe Weston and Sarah Clough, how many quarters have they actually played together? Mm, That's right. Because defensively, the way you make it work when you're not one-on-one and you are actually trying to attack the ball is you have to have this instinct with each other that you know where each other are going you know how to back each other up you know when someone's going right you're going left and you have this absolute belief and trust in each Mm. other but it takes time to build and that's what I don't think they've had the time to build those powerful combinations to be able to make the changes. And that is the nature of this Aussie Diamonds or any international team you know the players are out doing their own thing in in club particularly with the timing of this World Cup so that, that time you've got together is incredibly limited to try and build those combinations really quickly. So it, it is tough to do it, isn't it? It is really tough. And that's why we've seen probably in the past a lot of the combinations coming out of the Super Netball ANZ Championship teams back in the day, a lot of the combinations were picked as teams. So, you know, you might have your Vixens attack line, yep. you might have your Swiss defence line. Like that's kind of how the Australian team used to be put together we see it very differently now with Super Netball because the combinations aren't necessarily playing together. Yeah, and it was, you know... Certainly got... not down the ends. Midcourt, a bit different because we there's not as many imports in the midcourt yeah, area. that's right. But down the attack and defence ends, there's a lot of imports that we all know and that's another controversial well, that's right. topic in well, itself. Well, and maybe the import thing, you know, discussion, we've got so many here, we're strengthening the other teams. We saw that in the semi, that was true. But the team that won the final in the end have only got two athletes playing in our league. So maybe that too many imports rule has been blown out of the, the water. What about the attack end, Sherelle? What are your thoughts on how it played out in especially that final? Yeah, well, you talk about those combinations and, and that's what the Diamonds went with really uh, in that front line with Seabass uh, onto Steph Wood and then Kelsey Brown, that Sun- Sunshine Coast Lightning team from the last previous two years. That's been tried and true. They know each other and... That... But so does Nolene. <laughs> Nolene's the one that put that combination together. Yeah, and isn't that an interesting one, how much of an impact that that would have? Because there's no doubt as as a coach, you you know your, your girls that you're coaching, you know their strengths, but you also know their little chinks and weaknesses. So, 
you know, perhaps um, that played into their hands a little bit. I don't know. I, I thought, um, you know, it's it's tough for a player like Caitlin Thwaites who goes through a tournament and misses two goals for the entire tournament, played the full game in the semi-final shot, 30 out of 30. And really in those crunch moments when Australia needed to nail a shot, she did. And that's what, you know, was impressive about Caitlin Thwaites because she has this monkey on her back from whether it's the public or the people within netball that like she can't play in the pressure moments. But in that semi, she proved she can. Absolutely, she did. And... You know, this this is timing, isn't it, sometimes in elite sport and, and when your career, who your career is running alongside. Yes. And B, you <laughs> Me. Ex- you I ex- sat on the bench forever. For a long time. Test behind, our, behind our guest, Liz Ellis, for many years. And then you got your opportunity. And, and you know, timing for Caitlin Thwaites has, has been that with Seabass. And, you know, I think that at times Caitlin Thwaites has really played a great impact role for the Diamonds. Um, and very easily could have slotted into into that lineup through that final and, and potentially had an impact. But ca- you can't knock Caitlin Bassett for her game. I do wish she'd turned and shot that goal. I think it was at the end of the second, second quarter, quarter with only a couple of uh, seconds left. But, you know, she she shot 35 goals and was really, really strong, particularly in that first half. Um, so, you know, it's it's hard to, to pull that. And she's the captain. So that was a tough one. I think, you know, I, I look at uh, Liz Watson, who I think was probably our best player across yeah. the tournament. I think she was really fantastic. And in again, in those big moments, she pulled out a couple of really huge defensive plays. Yes. Um, both in that semi and in the final. Um, but for, for mine, she's the best wing attack in the world. And so you've got the best wing attack in the world playing in centre. So I think this comes back to um, the mix that we had in that midcourt um, that perhaps people kind of were playing a little bit out of their first yeah. preferred position. Now, that's, that's I'm, not, I'm not knocking what actually happened out there because everyone put their absolute best out there. But I just wonder if she would have been better... Um, although she was great in she the centre too. But I know she what you're fantastic. saying because if we go back to past Australian teams, the powerful combination. So you think about Nat and Laura Von Berto mm. in that centre wing attack positions. Yeah. They played together all year at Thunderbirds and that combination yeah. then became the Diamonds combination and they were unstoppable mm. because of their understanding. Yeah. I mean, probably helped their sisters too. But <laughs> do you know, like they, they just had that constant connection with each other mm. and that's what I felt like we were missing. But the girls, no matter that whether they had that connection or not, they tried their absolute butts, didn't they? Like off oh, to try and get doubt. that win in the end. And and they just fell short. Well, That's what we've got to what? remember. And we do have to remember that we have spoken about this World Cup, that it is the tightest it has ever been. Yeah, we've never experienced anything no, like what the those the two semifinals were decided by two goals. So that is evidenced with that. Um, so you've got this really incredibly tough uh, lineup, and we just have such high expectations, and we want them to do well, mm. and we believe that they can do well. Um, so we need to temper everything that we're talking about. And it was great to see some of the girls come on uh, their social media and say that was the most amazing experience of my life. I know, and I'm incredibly proud to have been a part of that. And le- please, let's not lose sight of that because no. that is absolutely true. They have missed out on a gold medal by one goal. Mm-hmm. So that's all it is, and we do need to keep that um, front of our minds as well. I agree, and I think uh, one of I think it was Melbourne Com Games when we got a silver medal, Shaz, and I remember one of the past Aussie players 
saying in the media that those girls shouldn't be proud of that silver medal. And, and we were. And that's right. And I, But I remember moments where I didn't want to be proud of it because that's what someone else had oh, said I good. shouldn't be. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, it just it, – it really made me doubt it. Yet I look back on Melbourne Com Games and that was one of the best experiences we ever had because yeah, it was in it was. our hometown and, yeah. all you know, all this other stuff went on behind the scenes. But I hope every player is proud of their silver medal that they yeah. won because they earned it. They yeah. got themselves there. They did. Now, we've had a few questions um, on Twitter that people always want us to give them the insight into what really goes on. I know there's a lot going on about the review process. What happens? Is the review process going to take place? And I just thought, let's give an update from what we know. Um, so, yes, there's always a review process. Win, lose or draw, it will always happen. After every tour, not just after every major tour, tournaments. That's right. It will always happen. The players always will have a say. So, so basically, the day after the last test match, what they would do is go around in groups, sit down and they – they assess everything from what food they ate for breakfast every day on tour to, you know, the training times to the schedules to the uniform. Like everything gets assessed. It's, it's in that start, stop, keep style of what you want to do. And they sit around in groups and they do that first. They also then, once they're home, they also online will fill out. Um, it's, it's not a survey, but it's just basically the players confidentially giving their uh, insight into how things played out for them. And so every player, every person on that touring team, including your performance analysis, your team manager, your assistant coaches, everyone will be part of this review process. Now, this is something the Diamonds do all the time and they collate all this information and they make changes as they see fit. I'm not sure what goes on from a Netball Australia point of view, I assume that they will run their own review mm. too. We've had Marnie and Lisa on these podcasts both telling us that after Com Games there was the thorough review done. That shouldn't be public knowledge. Mm. We shouldn't know what it says. Um, but you just hope that, you know, whatever needs to be implemented to be better at the next mm. tournament, that that's how it takes place. Mm. And that and that's absolutely how they would do it. The players have a, a voice in that. So would the high-performance team, so would the medical staff, so would the admin staff from a Netball Australia point of view so it's a it's a holistic look at things it's not you're not just looking at what the end point was no and what actually played out on court everything is looked at as it should be as it should be every time because this is a high performance environment that um, these teams are operating in and they want to get better of course they do and you know what there has been some criticism in the past or recent times even where people think the players have too much of a say Mm. so it is important that there is that balance because, you know, if the players are not happy by all the little things, then, you know, I just don't think that's acceptable. I think some things you've just got to suck it up and move mm. on and be able to play no matter what the conditions are around you. So we can't go to a time where whatever the players want, they get. No, We've no. got to keep this process in place, whether we win or lose, and make sure that just the little things that you know can change, that you can make changes to, to make the team better, to help them to perform better, you do it, but you certainly don't chuck everything out and start again. No, and you, it, it needs to be as much as possible without the emotion attached yeah. to it. And that can be challenging when it's um, immediately post, but that is really important because sometimes when you're away on tour, particularly in a major tournament, 
little things be- can seem enormous. Enormous. Because you are in this tiny little microcosm of life. You're living on top of each other and things. So you also need to have the processes in place to cope with even that. Yeah. So And if you're a bench player compared yeah. to if you're a starting seven player, like you're probably giving very different emotional feedback in yeah. the moment. Yeah, that's right. Hey, um, one other thing I wondered what your thoughts were was um, about the timeouts that we have in Suncorp Super Netball. <laughs> so the, the teams and the athletes have access to two per half. Yeah. Um, and the teams this year in Super Netball have been using them quite a bit, actually, to their advantage, to stop a run, to have a break for athletes, whatever it is. Now, international netball does not have that. And there were times when I was watching the games going, well, gee, it'd be nice to be able to just have a timeout here to settle things. Do you think that they were relying on that and is it therefore a good idea from that perspective to have the different rules? Yeah, look, do you know what? I did like that the game just continued um, and that you couldn't break momentum because you like to see the players who can fight it out. Like that's what I – and you like to see the players that can problem solve, change things up on court without a coach telling them what to do. In Super Netball, I like the strategy sometimes behind it. Like I think sometimes that's how teams do get wins or get a bonus point because they've managed to – figure that out but yeah I do like an international netball that there's no timeouts yeah especially when you're getting up at 2am the game's over quicker (laughs) (laughs) that's right let's play it on now Sherelle I wanted to ask you is there too much emphasis on shooting percentage because from my view if a shooter shoots 100% good on them but what about everything else they're doing on the court nothing else matters B well (laughs) what about the bad passes and what about like the I don't know when they're not in the right position I just think we're put too much emphasis on, oh, awesome, they shot 100% good on them. What about the rest of the game? Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, shooting percentage has always been that easy stat to look at, isn't it? It's yeah. pretty obvious whether you've shot well or not and you can look at that stat quickly and go, right, well, that's where I sat with that. Um, of course, it's about much more than that. Um, I do know as, as a goaler, if your shooting percentage is up, it you kind of, you know, get up and about a yeah. little bit. So you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Um, so it can have an impact on the rest of your game. But I think um, particularly, you know, the more uh, data we collect, the more we look at stats and, and analyse the way things have gone, of course you need to go much, much deeper than that. Um, sometimes I think it is something that we look at too greatly. But... At the end of the day, B, and I know that you think that defence wins championships, <laughs> but you can get a thousand intercepts, and if the goalers are not shooting those goals, you ain't winning the game. So I, uh, I, I get that it is, you know, maybe we put too much emphasis on it, but it is one of the absolute crucial parts oh, of our game. I agree, it is crucial. I just wish, as shooters, that they don't walk off the court and go, "Hey, I shot 100 percent. All's good in the world." <laughs> no, way more to it. That's 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 also very fair. Uh, Another question we had on Twitter was around the starting seven. So when do the players find out? How is it decided? So to give you a bit of an insight, generally what is happen- what happens is the leadership group will sit down with the coaches. So Lisa Alexander, Claire, Megan will sit down with Caitlin Bassett and Liz Watson and discuss the starting seven for each game. I have been in that situation too with Laura Geitz, uh, 2014 Com Games. We'd sit down with Mark Keldo and Lisa Alexander and Michelle Dendecker and we'd talk about the starting seven. That 
conversation can be quite brutal at times Mm. where, you know, I was in a position where they're like, Bianca, you're not in our starting seven. I had to just suck it up, move on, you know. Which is tough as the vice captain and the leader of the group. It's totally tough. Mm. But you're there. It's a team sport. It's just what you have to do. But but a lot of those, everyone brings their thoughts to the table. Ultimately, Lisa gets the final say. She's the head coach. The selectors, interestingly, interestingly, select the team, you know, back a few months before the tournament. I don't believe they have anything to do with the seven once you get into the tournament. Mm. I believe that's kind of handed, the team's handed over to the coaches. Yep. That's all them. And so the team generally find out the starting seven a couple of hours before the game, before you leave the hotel to go to the courts. If it's a game like a Zimbabwe where you know it's going to be, uh, you know, an easy win in the end, or you hope it is, you know, Lisa won't often share if she's making any changes with the team. You you assume it. You don't. She will never. I don't believe say this is my starting seven at the start and this is my starting seven at halftime. It's usually they might decide that in the leadership group meeting, but they don't tell the players that. So the players are always got to be ready to go. So I assume what's happened is that. The leadership group have had these discussions with the coaches. So each starting seven for each game has been a discussion. Who said what? We don't know. But and that's, who has the influence? Who knows? Yeah, in we've got no idea about any of that. But the girls certainly are not informed of when changes are going to be happening because you have, if you're on that bench, you've got to be ready at any time to be put on that court. Yeah. So I think it's good that you don't know that that's coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's interesting. As you say, this is – what we get the feedback on, like people wanting to know how it actually operates yeah. behind the scenes because there's so much that goes on. We, we see the end result. We see them out on the court for, for an hour, but we don't get um, all this information. So that's great. Um, just a quick touch before we get to Liz Ellis on um, the other top nations, England, absolutely devastating for them that they weren't able to get through mm. to, and contest that gold medal match. I agree. I, you know, especially with, I mean, yes, there was pressure on them, but I mean, from Australia, you could see the excitement on social media or everywhere about everyone getting behind England yeah, yeah. Um, for their home World Cup. Yeah, and I think uh, losing Layla Gusketh early in that tournament really hurt them towards the end. In, you know, this is a tough tournament when athletes are having to run out more than mm-hmm. what you, they may have if you had a full 12 available. So yep. I think that that made it really tough for them. Absolutely. Jamaica, yeah, hugely disappointing Massive for me. disappointment. Gee, you and I both, pre- we I actually know. predicted they might make it all the way to the gold medal I'm going to stop pumping them up now because yeah. I feel like every time I'm, they get my hopes up and then they just let me down. <laughs> all right, you're fully <laughs> off the bandwagon. They were really disappointing. Um, and... You know, they probably their midcourt for me was was that question mark, but unfortunately, what, they weren't able to fire up either end either. The other one, of course, was South Africa. <laughs> Norma Plummer coaching in her final international match. Isn't that amazing? The Plum, you could see the look on her face in that semi final. She just was relishing that contest. Totally, she would. It is actually quite amazing. You know, we talk a lot about Nolene Tarua and what she has been able to do with the teams that she's coached. Do not underestimate what Norma Plummer has done for this nation who effectively doesn't have a national competition. Uh, She's encouraged teams uh, as much as she can in the Suncorp Super Netball to include her athletes. And the result is she was two goals away from a, a final First time South Africa ever played off in a semi-final in Absolutely. the World Cup. And what I loved, and like Norma and I have had our ups and downs, but what <laughs> I've loved watching the plum coach South, South Africa is that 
She's shown that the Australian way of playing netball and the way we've always done it still works. Still stands up, doesn't it? Yeah, good the point. The basic skills that she would drill into that. And I asked Inna Marie, one of the South African girls, um, the other day when I saw her, like what training is like. And exactly what Norma did with us, she is doing with them. The fact that it's about catching and throwing yeah. and footwork. And if you do the basics right, the rest just happens. Yeah. And I feel like South Africa, that's exactly what they mm. did. They were able to throw and catch accurately and their footwork was on point and that's what got them close yeah. to the top nations. And it's a good lesson to everyone, isn't it? Across all sports, really. You know, um, Cam Smith, uh, who's uh, Melbourne's uh, storm star in the NRL, uh, just played his 400th game. Yeah. His skills are impeccable. Yeah. So if you can get those basics right, it will take you a long way. Hey, B, I really do want to get to Lids. I've got one last question before we get off the okay. World Cup. What was your highlight for the World Cup? Well, to be honest, my highlight was South Africa in that semi-final against Australia. Yeah. I loved seeing international netball absolutely competitive where you just do not know who is going to win at the very end. To me, that keeps – I've never been more excited to watch netball – since I retired, mm. as watching this World Cup. And four nations from Africa for the first time in the top eight. Yeah. Amazing. So I, that's what excites me. And, you know, I know there's a lot of criticism about imports, but bring it on because it makes me want to watch the game more and more. Very good. Sherelle, what was your highlight? Well, I, I, I couldn't separate two, so I've got two for you. Rachel Dunn coming on in the bronze medal match when the chant went around the stadium, <laughs> bring on done, bring on done. And Grand they favorite. did tw- one minute to go. And I just thought, Helen Housby, where is your sense of theatre? She could have <laughs> offloaded that last exactly. shot that she took. And poor Rachel Dunn standing under the post thinking, why, why, <laughs> Helen Housby? Um, but I loved that and I loved that sense of um I don't know, loyalty, I guess, to yeah. a player who has done so much for England netball. To, she's for my age. To have she a must moment. be hurting. Yeah, she must geez, be hurting. she's still playing. The other one for me, Casey Kapoor, we probably haven't spent enough time no. singing her praises because she was amazing right across this tournament. It's the last time we'll see her in the Silver yeah. Ferns dress, which is sad. Uh, not for goalers. God, she was tough to play on. Um, but when she was having her interview oh. about <laughs> her, her player of the match and her daughter, Maya, I think, it is Maya um, was licking the sweat off her shoulders and chest and I just thought how beautiful that that encapsulates the the comeback that she's had yeah she's had a baby she's come back and is at the absolute peak of her game yeah and the realities for her is still that her daughter's licking her shoulder (laughs) and I absolutely love that such a warrior now one thing I need to quickly go to okay last one I want to talk to you about what is it with the girls braiding their hair. Now, I know you were a braider. I know you had your hair braided for a few Aussie Test matches. What is it about it? I've had a few people ask me, why does everyone braid their hair in netball? Because you're bored. You've got <laughs> so much time on your hands. You think, what can I do? I know what I'll feel in half an hour, getting my hair braided. So that's why I Good went, I I went like the it. two braids for the uh, final of the Manchester Com Games. Right. I don't think I did it too much. Monty and Gerard always used to try it. She'd spend three hours doing her hair <laughs> She'd on do game it. Uh, that wasn't good enough. Do it again. Yeah. Uh, I All think, right. I think that's what it comes down to. So just clearing that <laughs> up. Um, let's get into the next part of things, B, because we are very excited to have a netball legend, Liz Ellis, joining us right after this.
Welcome back to the Inner Circle podcast with Sherelle McMahon and Bianca Chatfield. As we mentioned before the break, we are very lucky to have with us today former Australian captain and most capped diamond and media superstar, let's be honest, Bianca, Liz Ellis. Hi, Lizzie. Oh, hi. <laughs> Do you know what? I feel very lucky. I listen to this podcast every week and I always walk along as I listen and think, Oh, yeah, and I think I'm joining in the conversation, right? <laughs> I'm talking to two of my friends and then I realise you can't hear me. So how nice today you can hear me. Oh, yay, we can hear you. And, uh, gee, Channel 9 worked you quite hard over the weekend, Liz. Have you recovered, first of all? Well, on Monday I felt like I'd been hit by a bus and then yesterday I felt like that bus had reversed over me. Today I'm simply a passenger on that bus going wherever it takes me. But right. look, how exciting, though. You know what? If we, like, you think back to when we were playing, if someone had said to me that, the 2019 Netball World Cup, all the Diamonds games will be live on Channel 9, on one of their um, channels, and then, you know, the Today Show will pick it up. It's on everything to do with Channel 9 that gets rehashed. Um, it's, so it would, we wouldn't have believed you. So how exciting. And how exciting that um, we've got a great final, we've got a grouping final, and even though it was on in the middle of the night, plenty of people got up to watch it. So... Um, I couldn't be more excited for where our sport is at the moment, actually. That's right. And there's just been so many people talking about it. And I think that's the best thing for our sport, that it encapsulates everybody in these moments. Yeah. And actually, that's a really good point, too, because there seems to be two trains of thought, Liz, that, you know, those who are, now that we have lost our second major tournament by only one goal, who are questioning why that's happening, how can we do things better? And another train of thought that is, hang on, let them go because they've done amazingly. Where do you sit on that? I probably sit fairly in the middle. I think any time you lose anything, you, you have to interrogate, interrogate why. You have to be really thorough in figuring out why it happened. And if you look at the Diamonds' performance, it was superb in that final. That was seven goals down at, in the third quarter of that final to fight back and lose by one, where they gave away over 300 test caps in experience for the Silver Ferns. Just an extraordinary performance. The upside is that the bulk of that team will still be around come the next Commonwealth Games and the next World Cup. So through this next four-year cycle, we might lose a couple of older players. No one's said anything about their future yet. They might hang on and keep playing, thinking that's not a great way to maybe finish your international career. But it's so exciting to think that the bulk of that lineup is going to be around in four years and that, that much wiser. But if you walk away from a loss like that and you don't interrogate it and you don't figure out why it happened, you don't learn. So, you know, Cheryl, think back to that 2003 final. For me and for our team, that drove us when we lost that final to New Zealand. That drove us so hard going into 2007 that it was almost like nothing was going to stop it. Yeah. So you need to find what went wrong, what went right. You need to understand what went right to make sure that you don't change that. I think if you... And that's why, you know, I wrote an article about it. And I wrote it really straight away after that final and I was still really emotional. And what you think about is how can, how can we do better? And I, I guarantee you every single one of those Diamonds players will be thinking um, in the future about, okay, how can I do what I did but better for next time around? Lisa Alexander will be thinking the same thing. Clement Menem and Megan Anderson, the assistant coaches, they'll all be thinking the same thing. So... I think if you get caught up in going heads must roll, you're on the wrong track because I don't know that heads need to roll. I think we need to, you want to keep as many heads as you can because they're the people who are going to learn. But if you also get caught up thinking, oh, wow, they fought so hard, they did us proud, they were great, then you don't take the learnings away. So there's, there's something, there's a, there's a path through the middle of all that that um, I really do hope that the brains trust around the team take. 
Yeah, you're right. And I think there will be such a thorough review done on it. You know, that drove all of us in our careers at different times when we had those disappointments. One of the things that's been a hot topic has been around international netball is flying because because of the imports and the unlimited imports allowed in super netball. Now that you we've got the evidence that international netball is flying and those teams are right on our tail, where do you sit on it? Are you still all for imports in super netball? Yeah, I am. And um, I, I don't necessarily think that this defeat was because of the super netball imports. You know, when you look at the team that beat us in New Zealand team, Laura Langman and Maria Folau are the only two from that team playing here. I think the coach um, has probably got a lot more to do with it, allowing an international coach, especially our biggest rival, to coach here, um, one of our club teams. Nolene Tarua is brilliant, and you can see the game plan she had for that Australian front line and just blocking off their pathways to the edge of the circle and the goal. So that's probably it's probably more about that coaching um, role more than international players. I think that one of the reasons why the Diamonds could compete so well on the world stage was because they got out there and they knew all of the international players from South Africa, from England, um, from New Zealand, inside out and upside down. So... They weren't intimidated by anybody. So I keep going back to the fact that this is a Diamonds team that is really young and gives away massive amounts of experience, not just to New Zealand, but England and South Africa had hundreds more caps in their lineup than the Diamonds had, yet here we are, the Diamonds lost the final by one. So, yeah, the Super Netball imports allowed for, has allowed for that development of the world game, and I think that's a really important thing for us here. But it also has allowed for our players, I think, to develop a little bit faster than they might have otherwise on that international stage Mm. because they've already played against these players. Liz, um, when we headed over to New Zealand many, many moons ago in the 99 World Cup, the headlines were that Jill's geriatrics had arrived uh, because we were called an ageing team. Now, there were fossils out on court for New Zealand in this uh, in this campaign in Maria Folau, Casey Kapoor and, of course, Laura Langman. Um, there's so much to love about this whole story for New Zealand. But I went back and had a look at you talking about the New Zealand team uh, the morning of uh, the game on Sports Sunday, and you said, watch out for Casey Kapua. You are onto something. Uh, <laughs> you I, must know what you're talking about. In, in small days at shows, let's not get too terrible. <laughs> I, I love Casey Kapua. I love the way she goes about the game. I love what she brings. I've, I've always loved watching her because she reads the game as well as any defender I've ever seen. I watched an interview with her um, in the lead-up in that week before the World Cup final, and we showed it actually in our telecast. And uh, but you might have missed it because it was four a.m. So, um, <laughs> but we showed it, and she was really—you you got the sense. You know, when you're going into something like this, you get a sense from teams whether they feel it's whether they feel on the inside it's their destiny. And I heard her talk, and she was talking about she'd only come back to the team and made a comeback for Nolene. She. Um, Two reasons. One, for Nolene. Two, for um, the fact that she had never won a World Cup before. And the third one that she talked about was for her daughter. And I thought, they are three massive motivations. If you want to prove something to your kids and to show your kids something, then you go harder than you've ever gone before. If you have never won something, then you go harder than you've ever gone before. And I just looked at her and I thought, she's got that, that look in her eye of, I'm going to do this. And you combine that with her innate ability and her innate talent. And I got the sense that she was going to have a huge say in the World Cup final. And she did. And when 
you know, in the first quarter, I thought Maria Falau looked really nervous and was scared to go to the post. But Casey Corfer in particular, um, her and Jane Watson were so good in just winning back ball and sending it back down and giving that shooting line the opportunity to get into a groove, which they did, and they were unstoppable. Both um, Falau and Ekanasio were outstanding in that final because the ball was just provided to them through that first quarter and they weren't allowed almost to dig themselves into a hole. They got the opportunity to get themselves into that rhythm. So, you know, if you want to pinpoint something, there's so many things that go into a World Cup win. Nolan Terrell's coaching was outstanding. I'm a huge fan of Laura Langman, but I love the story of Casey Corker. I think she's a superstar. Yeah, I totally agree with you. From the Aussies' point of view, who were the standout players? Uh, you know, I loved what Liz Watson did in that final. I thought that she just ran and ran and ran and kept on presenting um, I thought Gretel Tippett came on and was nervous for the first few minutes, but then was almost unstoppable. She yeah. was great um, in that final. I thought Joe Weston had a few ugly moments in attack in the in the first quarter, but again, this is nerves. Um, and but then once she settled in, she was terrific as well. Um, you know, I thought Courtney Bruce had been great all through the tournament and probably looked a little bit nervous in that final. And again, it's that inexperience that probably provides these moments. Um, you know, I thought Kelsey Brown just ran and kept providing um, that circle with plenty of options and plenty of um, opportunities to get the ball in. And I thought um, that Caitlin Bassett, as the captain, stood tall and she slotted, you know, a huge amount of goals in a World Cup final. She won't look at that and think, um, it's hard to look back as a captain when you lose and think, oh, what could have I done better? But... She can be pretty proud that she stood up when she had to against a, um, a New Zealand team that was that was one of the best put together teams, one of the best coached teams I've ever seen, and we're running so high on emotion through that whole final. So there were some really, really great performances in that final and across the World Cup. That if the right questions are asked and the right lessons are learned, they can be built on coming. Okay, well, Liz, if you were a part of this review process that happens after every tour, regardless of the result, what questions would you ask? What are the key questions? Uh, There's a few. I'd be asking questions about, um, uh, first, the leadership, right? So on and off-court leadership. So on-court, were our leaders, were Caitlin Bassett and Liz Watson, were they provided with everything they needed to be able to do what they had to do? If the answer is yes, that's true. If not, give them the opportunity to provide feedback about what they'd like to do differently, what the next lot of leaders should know, um, what they will need going forward in terms of the support around them. Um, the other thing is about off-court leadership, were the right people involved, were the right questions being asked, did Lisa Alexander have the support she needed, did she have the resources she needed. There also needs to be, I think, some questions around game day coaching. So if you look at the two coaches, Nolene Tarua coaches week in, week out in um, the toughest netball league in the world. So she's used to watching games and making decisions about substitutions and that sort of stuff. Lisa Alexander doesn't get that opportunity. Does Netball Australia need to somehow provide her with the opportunity to do week-in, week-out game day coaching so that she knows the decisions that she's making? She's made them week-in, week-out leading into a tournament like this. Now, she might not want to do that, and that's fair enough, but it's, it's not so much about the answers that we're looking for at the moment because I don't know the answers. It's the questions that need to be asked. So I think... While well, someone like me what might say, yep, I love the unlimited imports in Suncorp Super Netball, the question has to be asked, did that contribute to the downfall of the... Not the downfall, did that contribute to the result? Or did the presence of players like Peace Proscovia and Carla Pretorius and those sort of players in our league, does that contribute to the Diamonds being that little bit better when they get to international tournaments? So, 
you know, Netball Australia is an organisation that doesn't run on a huge amount of money and a huge amount of resources. So they've got to be really clever with how they go about it. And the way you get clever is to seek input from everyone who was involved in the process. Is the high performance arm of Netball Australia, are they delivering what the players need? So um, there's a heap of different questions. and um, But I think that coaching one is key around making sure that our, our coach, the Diamonds coach, whether it's Lisa Alexander or whether it's anyone else, has the opportunity to coach game day stuff um, as often as she needs. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And it actually brings back um, vague memories. But I, when I was still in the team, I remember Lisa used to cop a lot of grief if the assistant coaches were a part of a super netball team or an ANZ championship team at the time. So whether it be Michelle Dendecker or Rosalie Jenke or if any of those coaches were a part of, say, Vixens or Firebirds, then the other clubs used to get really antsy about it, about you know favouritism because these coaches are then seeing the Diamonds girls at training and they can use that information back for super netball or ANZ champs and you make a really good point but you know that we've got to use that to our advantage rather than see the negative of it because there's so many positives to come out of that when you're entrenched every single day in what's going on in the netball world absolutely and look I get that there's issues around information flow and that sort of stuff but I think sometimes we get a little bit carried away with that sort of stuff you know if you're a good coach um, you'll be able to pick things anyway regardless of what you know from working with the diamonds and I think um, you know, and that's all about the structure and how things are, are done within Netball Australia. But, you know, if you're if this, there's this new commission, the Suncorp Super Netball Commission, they can work these issues issues through. I think there's so much more benefit from having um, game day coaches involved with the Diamonds than there is negative. And there can, surely there can be structures and processes put into place to keep people as happy as possible. And, you know, Suncorp Super Netball is really the flagship for Netball Australia. It's... it's such a great opportunity to be a good commercial arm, to make lots of money, to get the players preparing professionally and being able to be paid professionally. So that has to be a priority. So how do we use how do we use that to help the diamonds? And I think we might need to think creatively. And that's what I'd like for this review to be able to come up with. To okay, how can we use this huge resource that we've got with the best players in the world playing to help the diamonds out? Because if we're funding it, the diamonds should get the benefit of it. In your eyes, you talk about game day coaches. Who's the best game day coach in Australia? That's a tough question, isn't it? And, you know, I look at the coaches in Super Netball. They are superb. (laughs) (laughs) There are great coaches. You know, we had Tanya Obbs from the Thunderbirds sitting on the sideline for England in um, in this World Cup. She's a really good coach, and England had the benefit of her. I think when I... Before the start of each Suncorp season, I ring around and speak to all the coaches, and... I have to say I walk away thinking I would love to be coached by these guys. You have to excuse me because this is my three-year-old. <laughs> hey, Austin. <laughs> hey, buddy. He's still in, he's still in his pyjamas. So look at me go, mother of the year. Oh, well, look, um, one of my favourite memories from the World Cup is Casey Kapoor's daughter licking her shoulder. So, you know, <laughs> if, Austin's part, if Austin's part of the podcast, I'm happy. <laughs> that is true. Um, so yeah, I I look at um, like I talked to I talked to Nolene Tarua and I as I played against her that that ages me but I want to be coached by her because she's so innovative in how she thinks. Yeah. I talked to Simone McInnes and I played with her but I want to be coached by her because she loves her players. I've been coached by Julie Fitzgerald who is one of the few coaches at, at that level who has never played elite netball. She played I think. No disrespect, but she, I think she might have played as high as C or B grade in her local association. <laughs> but she has this innate ability to pick 
the right change to pull at the right time. And she's always been really good at that. So she's a great game day coach. Bryony Akel is someone who um, is universally loved and respected by her players. She has this great passion on the sidelines. So, you know, um, Suncorp Super Netball is full of great game day coaches. Rose Jenke has had so much success with the Firebirds. Um, Stacey Marinkovic is a young coach who has coach that West Coast Fever team so well. So there's any number of coaches who I think could and should be involved with the Diamonds. If if it's felt that Lisa Alexander doesn't need to be coaching a game day team week in, week out, whether it's at um, you know Suncorp level or even at ANL level, I wouldn't mind seeing that sort of um, investigated, then she could be surrounded by great coaches. And I think um, the thing that is, is happening really well within um, the Australian pathway at the moment forget about the players for a second, is that now we have any number of coaches in that Suncorp level who could either step up and be an assistant coach or um, or the Diamonds coach. The, the coaching pathway is really strong, which is terrific. Liz, um, the World Cup has been amazing. There is so much to talk about. But, of course, we need to turn our minds very, very quickly to Suncorp <laughs> Super Netball. I don't know if you know, but it's on in a few days, so don't get too comfortable at the farm. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to do my travel for this weekend because I'm commentating um, in Melbourne on Sunday. And when I got the phone call from the travel people at Channel 9, I was like, what? What? What are you talking about? Well, and I wanted to ask you, what what do you think, finally, as we head into this uh next weekend of Suncorp Super Netball, which teams do you think will come through this period of time um, and be able to make a really good charge towards the finals? Oh, I look at Sunshine Coast Lightning and I think they're going to be so energised with Nolene Toro and Laura Langman, um, Peace Proscovian in that goal shooting position. I think you look at them and they're sitting in second at the moment. They're, they've got, you've got, you, they're almost unbackable in terms of, yeah, they're going to go really hard at the finals. Um, I'll be really interested to see what the Vixens come back like, Shaz, and I know you're involved with them, but they've got, um, they had such a massive amount of players who um, were off either involved with the World Cup or supporting the World Cup. I suspect that Simone McInnes has pulled absolutely the right levers by saying um, to Tegan Phillip, Kate Maloney and Em Manning, go and have fun, have a European holiday, come back refreshed. I think that was super smart. Gabby Simpson, the same, Rose Jenke, let her go and... Um, and have a holiday, but I don't think the Firebirds are going to be in contention for the finals. Really interested to see how the Swifts come out of this particular um, tournament. They've got a couple of key players in their team, Paige Hadley, Helen Housby, who experienced massive disappointment um, through that World Cup. So Bryony Akel is going to have to call upon every resource that she's got to make sure that they come back and they're well supported, um, you know, coming on the back of Maddie Proud's injury. But... Um, and then, you know, there's Collingwood and the Giants, and they play this weekend, which is really going to be fascinating. Jeeva Mental um, would have been, again, super disappointed with not getting into that final. So, you know, they need to uh, give her plenty of support. April Brownley, Kelsey Brown, so they've been impacted. Julie Fitzgerald's going to have to manage Joe Harton um, and Jamie Lee Price. So I've not really answered the question other than to say I think Sunshine Coast Lightning are going to be there or thereabouts, and then it's a matter of how... Um, I think Vixens and the Swifts are probably the next two, but they've. Um, 
the proof of the pudding will be in how they play out this weekend and how they've the rest of the bulk of the squad has been managed. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward. Of course, as you say, I'm, I'm sitting on the bench with the Melbourne Vixens, so of course I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. But it will be intriguing to see how each of the teams come out of this little break. Liz, it has been fantastic. We've been asking you for so long to come on this podcast. Thank you for finally agreeing. <laughs> you are such a liar. <laughs> Last week. I've been begging you to be on this podcast. <laughs> All right, Liz, you can come on and talk to us. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It has been wonderful, as always, to hear your insights and uh, good calling on the weekend. Yeah, I'll see you Sunday, oh. Lizzie. Oh, I can't wait. Thanks, Sue. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. <laughs> Well, there you have it, Liz Ellis, who is always very, very interesting to talk to, Bianca. What did you think of her interview? Oh, I just love how honest she is and what underlines everything that she says is his passion for the Australian team. Yeah. And, you know, you've been captain, Liz has been captain, and it it just means so much to all of us Mm. that we only want the best going forward. So even though this has been disappointing what's happened over the last couple of days, I think, as she said, it's only going to stir on what happens next. That's right. And we must talk about these things. We must review it. And as Liz said, never before would we have been on the Today Show or live on Channel 9. So this is, these discussions are not meant to pit shots at um, people who have been been out there, as I put on a, on a post, those who are in the oh, arena yeah, who are leaving their blood, sweat and tears out there. That's, it's not what it's about. But, you know, these discussions are great and I love it because we Same. are all so passionate about it. And I feel really lucky that we do get to kind of hash these out. We actually caught up with Renee Ingalls on um, The Breakfast Club on the RSN earlier today. And we actually spoke to her about um, what they got up to. There was only two athletes <laughs> left so for small. the Vixens. So tough. But the sort of things that they were doing while this, uh, the rest of the international team were away. Lara, myself and, and all of our training partners have done what we call a mini pre-season, oh, mid-season. No. So it's been pretty tough. Um, so certainly happy to be hitting the court again this weekend. But it's actually been a really great block and probably just given me a little bit more downtime on the weekends to spend more time with Joe and the kids. So it's been quite nice. Renee also had some thoughts, be about how the players returning from the World Cup would integrate back into Suncorp Super Netball. I think obviously it's something that we'll look at just from a physical and mental perspective of how those girls are feeling, not only this week, but the next couple of weeks, because that's often when it can hit home is the next couple of weeks and, and the exhaustion can catch up with you. They'll still be on a high um, because they've been representing their country, which I know they're proud of. Very positive thoughts by yes, Renee Ingalls that's right. there. And I'll I think straight back in. it'll be something that we'll all be very intrigued yes. to watch how this all plays out. Another little tidbit that I found out actually in my research that I've been doing is the Giants we know are taking on Magpies netball that's a big game it's a fight out to see who is going to I guess be in that top four and hopefully stay in that top four and I believe the Giants upgraded their players Caitlin Bassett Jamie Lee Price flying home from Liverpool a business class while the rest of the Diamonds are in economy oh I'm just fighting it out the back we'll be watching to see whether that helps them out on Sunday did the extra leg room and the better food (laughs) get it done for them why don't you ever do that for us yeah I know maybe we need to put in the question hey B um, it's been great as we said the Suncorp Super Netball is back on our screens in just a couple 
couple of days' time. Big games um, from now on, really, for this entire competition. And uh, we wait with bated breath to see how each of the teams and the individuals go, whether they were over at the World Cup or yep. back here. So much netball. It away. So much to talk about. <laughs> it's exciting that it's still all happening. It is. So please remember, everyone who's listening, to subscribe to us on iTunes. You can tweet us. You can please put a review out there. Yep. Hopefully they're only five-star reviews, yep, surely. <laughs> but make sure you do tweet us your feedback and also what you want to know. I think that's been really helpful for us is it just has. to continue to provide insights that you might not get into the netball world. So anything that you're thinking about over the Super Netball in the next few weeks, definitely tweet us and let us know. And that's why we call it the inner circle because you're getting the inner workings of netball right across this great country and world of ours. Bianca, it has been great to chat again. Our longest one yet. I know. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us if you're still with us. But join us again next week for another episode of the Inner Circle Podcast.